I want to invite you to join me in Exodus chapter 20. Be reading verses 4 through 6. This is the second commandment. We began last week with the first commandment, which taught us that the Lord is the only God. Today, in the second commandment, we're taught how He is to be worshipped. Would you bow with me as we ask the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word? Father, as we come to this text, we pray that You would grant us understanding. We pray that You would give us the ability to see that this text speaks to everyone in this room, including the preacher. And I pray that you would bring conviction, and I pray that you would bring comfort through Jesus. Do this, we ask, in his name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. George prayed in the pastoral prayer for our partners in India, and our hearts are with them, but I will tell you that as I thought about this sermon, my mind was also with them. (laughs) You see, travel in India is a sensory experience. (laughs) With 1.3 billion people, simply crossing the road is an adventure on par with an Indiana Jones epic. (laughs) You hear the sounds of horns honking throughout the night. (laughs) The smells are exotic and pungent. (laughs) And then there are the sights. Strange images abound. You see, India is an ancient culture built on thousands of gods. Little g gods. Similar in many respects to the Egypt of Exodus. And those gods are captured in images. And it's hard to know whether or not those images are meant to represent the God or are meant to actually be the God. Regardless, those images, those idols, they reside lifelessly in temples, in restaurant lobbies, on car dashboards. As you make your way through that nation surrounded by these images, there is a palatable darkness that just resides everywhere. When you hear the second commandment, do you hear, don't be like India? Do you hear, don't go to India and and, and buy in the marketplace a carved image and put it on your shelf and worship that carved image? Is that what you hear in this commandment that speaks of idolatry? 
I will tell you that for much of my life, that's what I thought. And in thinking that, it was sort of a check the box. I got that one. Let's move on to the next. But I want us to dig a little deeper today. I want us to try and understand what the second commandment is teaching us. Because there is more at play than simply don't go to the marketplace and buy an image and worship it. First, I said that the first commandment dealt with the notion of, of other gods. There are none. Our God is one. But the second commandment says, don't do the same to me. God is saying, don't reduce me to an image. Don't reduce me to an image that you can then use in your worship. The second commandment is calling you and I to rethink the way we approach the Lord our God, and the way that we worship Him. So how do we see that in the text? I'll admit that at first it can seem a bit confusing when we read in verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the the earth. It it appears that in this verse 4, the Lord is saying, don't make any art. He says, don't make an image. Is he prohibiting representational art? Well, no. Later in the book of Exodus, he will point skilled craftsmen, craftsmen whom he actually gives the skill to do the task that he's calling them to fulfill. He, he calls them to make art for the tabernacle. Prohibiting representational art. What we need to see that in this second command, there are actually two sets of shall nots. And those two sets of shall nots come together to form a single command. Second commandment says, You shall not make an image or likeness, and you shall not bow down to them or serve them. At issue here, is our worship. And the Lord is telling us that He will not be worshipped by images. Actually, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, for those note-takers, you can write down Deuteronomy 4, verses 12 through 20. There is a passage that, that adds commentary and explanation to the second commandment. I'll read it, put it before us, and explain very quickly. But Deuteronomy 4, verses 12 through 20 Uh, tells us this, if I can find verse 12. There we go. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you're going over to possess. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, 
the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heavens, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole earth. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out from the iron furnace, out from Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Did you hear? Did you hear what the Lord was saying there? He said, you heard me, but you didn't see me. You heard my voice, but you did not see my form. In fact, you cannot see me. My holiness is too much for you to behold. Man cannot see me and live. So don't reduce me to an image. That's what they did in Egypt. But I rescued you from that. Don't turn back. You are my covenant people. That's what the Lord is saying in Deuteronomy 4 as He explains for us the second commandment that we read in Exodus 20. The problem is, Israelites immediately broke this commandment. Immediately. Recorded for us in Exodus 32 is, as Moses would go up on the mountain to receive the, the tablets of stone. In his absence, the people gathered around Aaron and said, make for us an image. And Aaron did their bidding. He took the gold, he threw it in the fire, he, he formed it into a calf. But he described that calf as the gods who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. Do you understand as you read Exodus 32 what, what Aaron in his mind was doing and what the people of Israel were doing was they were not creating a new deity. They weren't creating a new god. They were reducing Yahweh to a physical and false representation. A calf. They were trying to make him into an image that they could point to. They weren't creating a new God. They were reducing the one true God. Listen, behind the, first, the second commandment is the first. And the first tells us that the Lord our God is one. He is big, He is majestic, He is holy, He is infinite, and He is uncontrollable. And as we will see in a moment, He is a wild lover. And His love will change us. That scares us. Because we don't want to be bothered, we don't want to be changed, we want something that we can look to when we want to look upon it. But we don't want it to ask of us. That's what happens when we reduce God to an image. But any image we reduce Him to falls woefully short. Do you know why it's harder to take a photograph of a person than it is to take a photograph of, of nature, of creation? Because people are complex. 
People have personalities. People have emotions. And the best photos, they're meant to capture the complexity of human emotion. But here's the thing. The greatest photograph will capture complexity with a couple of emotions. But they all fall fall woefully short of the range of emotions that drive us, that, that sustain us, that capture our humanity. The picture limits. The picture reduces. God says, don't reduce me. Our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, applies the second commandment to the specifics of worship. Outlining for us the details of what we are not to have in worship. It's part of the reason why when we get to the building on July 11th, there will not be a stained glass image that represents the Lord our God. It is why there is not a picture of Jesus on our bulletin. Because any picture that we would try and include would fall short. But it's too small an application of the second commandment to simply say no pictures. The bigger issue connects to the heart. Don't reduce God. And don't reduce our worship merely to a matter of our own self-will. That's what is prohibited in the second commandment but what I hope you're beginning to see what you saw last week what you'll see throughout the ten commandments is that in each of the commandments there are shall nots but there are also shalls the commandments prohibit but they also require and in the second commandment we see that you shall worship according to the word of God friends I Our God is an awesome God. He cannot be contained. He is perfect. He is holy. He is wise. And in His wisdom, He has chosen to reveal Himself through the written Word. There's a passage in 2 Peter that speaks to this. 2 Peter, uh, Peter is, is talking to the church and he's dealing on similar lines with this he's pointing the people to the word of God and and he tells the people that look when Jesus revealed his glory on the mountain when he when he transfigured himself before us when his when the glory that he possessed before time was revealed outward he said I was there I saw with my eyes. And when the Lord God boomed with the majestic voice affirming Jesus, I heard Him. And Peter says, I know you you want to see and I know you want to hear, but do you know what? You have something more sure than my eyes and my ears. You have the prophetic word. You have the Word of God to which you would do well to pay attention. 
Peter is telling the people that the Word of God is timeless and the Word of God is true. And the Word of God on every page reveals the glory of our God and He points the people and He points us to the Word. Because the Word reveals the glory of our God. We don't need a picture because we have the Word. It's the Word. Reveals the complex goodness, truth, and beauty of our God. And we are therefore to cling to it. And in clinging to the Word, to let it shape our understanding of who God is and our understanding of how He is to be worshipped. The second commandment tells us that our worship shall be according to the Word. Now, that shapes our understanding of what we know of as the regulative principle. The regulative principle guides what we do. It is important that what we do, the elements of worship that we include in our, in our uh, schedule of worship, they are, they are prescribed for us in the Word. We, we don't come to this time of worship and, and imagine what we might like to do, how we might entertain ourselves, how we might capture our imagination. No, we worship according to what we find in the Word of God. It is the regular principle, but the regular principle is founded on this commandment. The heart of the command. The heart of the command goes beyond merely what we do. The heart of the command tells us that worship is central to relationship with God. And relationship with God is fundamental to worship. When you think about that in the context of images. Because on one hand, uh, we, we need to be careful not to worship an image of God. But on the other hand, we need to be aware of this heart temptation to even reduce our worship to an ideal image of worship. You hear what I'm saying? We can picture in our mind what worship is to be. But we worship a person. We worship a person, and in the Word we see that our worship is shaped by relationship with that person. Have you ever been to Times Square? Times Square is a place where images are on full display, quite literally for the world to see. Images, they are the spectacle such that the city has chosen to put bleachers in Times Square so that the, the visitors can come sit in the bleacher and, and worship over the images that abound. If glory were reduced to brilliance and boldness, the sight would indeed be glorious. But you see, the images... On display in Times Square, they are of people and of products. And every one of them are beautiful. And all of them are, are there 
to build your desire for them. But here's the thing. Everything you see in Times Square is simply an image. You can sit for hours in those bleachers and look upon them, but you will never have a relationship with them. You can't engage in the image because the image simply is there sitting on the side of a building for you to look upon. Again, we like this notion. We like this notion because with those images on the wall, we can manage them. They don't ask anything of us. They are there for us to enjoy. But as much as we enjoy them, we will never have a relationship with them. And that is the point of differentiation. Our God not only invites relationship, our God commands relationship. That's emphasized by the fact that this commandment comes with an explanation. Latter portion of verse five and through verse six, we see that exclama- that explanation. Why are we not to worship according to images? Because the Lord our God is a jealous God. We're not quite sure what to do with that word jealousy when associated with God. It doesn't it doesn't fit into our nice, neat image of who God is. Maybe that's because jealousy is the language of lovers. We need to hear this. Our God is a lover. And He speaks in the language of marriage here. And that's why throughout Scripture, when He speaks of idolatry, He equates it with adultery. Friends, the gospel is this. The Lord our God claims us. And through Jesus Christ, He has purchased us. He has redeemed us. And the Lord our God will not share His lovers. His claim on us is one of exclusivity. Verses 5 and 6 speak to that exclusivity. And they apply not only to the second commandment, but we should understand this, this clause of explanation as applying to both the first and second commandment together, and thus by extension all ten of them. Which tells us that our God is serious about this relationship. So serious that he promises in this explanation as he unpacks his jealous love, he says that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, if we have problems with the word jealousy, we most certainly have problems with him visiting iniquity on the third and fourth generation. So let's understand it. Exodus 20, verse 5, it's not teaching that children will be punished for the sins that their parents have committed. 
that would be contrary to what God teaches in in Ezekiel 18, verses 14 through 18, where he explicitly says that the children who turn away from the sins of the parents will not be put to death because their parents sinned. No, what I believe the Lord is saying here in Exodus 25 is essentially this, that idolatrous parents create an atmosphere in the family that produces idolatrous children. Children who, like their parents, hate the Lord God. This hate is the Lord's Word, not mine. But this is how he defines hate. He defines those who hate him as those who worship other gods or, do not miss this, who worship the Lord God according to their own self-will. Let the weight of that land. When we worship God according to our own devices, according to our own self-will, by reducing Him to images, we are hating Him, and this sin will not go unpunished. Do you see again that the Lord our God is serious about worship? He is serious about images, even mental images. And, and, and that le- levels the playing field. None is righteous, no, not one. All of us are guilty of breaking this commandment because all of us have created some mental image of God. None of us can keep this. It's not only the visual images of God that we make that water down our worship, but it is also the mental image of what a relationship with Him looks like that will fall short. Anybody watch the show The Crown? (laughs) Watch the show The Crown, and and in this last season, part of the storyline took us through the the sad and at times dark relationship that exists between Prince Charles and Lady Diana. One scene seems to capture so clearly the ways in which we make an image out of relationship, the ways in which we reduce relationship to an ideal image. In this scene, Diana is driving north to visit Charles at what is his own country estate. And the staff found out that she was coming. And so they scurried about replacing the pictures by the bedside of Charles and his mistress, Camilla Parker Bowles, and replacing them with pictures of a sweet, smiling, false Charles and Diana. You see what the staff is doing in that scene? They're saying the relationship is captured by an image. If I simply replace the image with a different one, I can change the relationship. It's a graphic display of what we so often do in desiring an image, whether it be a social media image or a mental image. 
that will define our relationships. We do it with one another, and so often we do it with the Lord our God because so often we desire the image of relationship more than the real thing. But authentic relationships cannot be reduced to images. Authentic relationships are raw. They are vulnerable. And in the vulnerability, they are beautiful. Friends, authentic worship is the same. It is relational. When we worship the Lord our God, we are singing to Him. When we, in the context of worship, hear the Word, we are hearing from Him. When in the context of authentic worship we confess our sins, we are confessing to a person and we are receiving from Him the assurance that we are loved in Christ. Our worship is at its core relational. It is raw, it is vulnerable, and it is beautiful. But when we try and switch the real with the imagined depending on circumstance or convenience, we are Reducing our God to an image that can be contained in a picture or in our mind. And it is, in fact, an act of spiritual adultery of which all of us are guilty. And so what are we to do? Given the guilt that we all possess and the wrath that the Lord our God has described here, it appears that our situation is dark until we look to the Word. And there in the Word, we find the Word incarnate. The image that we are given in the Word of God, our Father, is Jesus. The the image that God gives us of Himself is of His Son, the visible image of the invisible God. And in Jesus, God has also illustrated His pursuit the pursuit of a husband determined to win back his adulterous bride. In the Old Testament, we see that illustration in the picture of Hosea, whom the Lord sent to go and redeem his adulterous wife, Gomer, to bring her back and to love her. In the New Testament, it is Jesus. Jesus is the groom who gave himself to redeem and beautify the bride, the church, Because it was His desire to spend eternity in intimacy and glory. This Jesus. He blows up our small pictures of deity, our cheap imitations of relationship that we are so quick to manufacture. He, in fact, redeems them. Do you see that in Christ the four generations of wrath give way to a thousand generations of steadfast love and no manufactured image can capture this grace. So friends, do you know what this means? It means that our God is holy. He is majestic. He is infinite. And He cannot, will not be contained by any image we try to create of Him. So brothers and sisters at Christ Church, let us worship Him as He has presented Himself in the Word with reverent, relational, passionate worship. And through it, let Him be glorified. 
Lord God, this is your word. We praise you for it and we ask that you would shape us by it. Do this, we ask, for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.